You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Father, grant us uh, ears to hear and uh, discerning minds, um, humility, as we come before the question of the gospel, uh, the center of why we're, we're here this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, good to see you. Uh, yes, I was just introducing myself. I'm a, I've been a member of Advent a number of years. Uh, and uh, I, I'm a professor at Sanford University. I, I teach in the history department. This is my wife. Probably calling to wonder where I am. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> the uh, I've been there about uh, 19 years, so uh, I uh, uh, th- that's who I am in the, in the community. Just in case you're wondering, today's topic is almost uh, so familiar. When Gil and I were talking about it, I was like, "How do you uh, how do you make it unfamiliar?" Right? I mean, how do you talk about something like the gospel? Um, in a way that can cut in between the sermon and lunch and uh, all the, uh, the various sort of uh, Sunday afternoon distractions that we have. Uh, it's a, it's, it, in our culture, at least, or especially if you've been a Christian for a long period of time, there, there's always the problem of familiarity, right? Uh, any relationship that you've ever found yourself in, you run into the problem of familiarity. If you're, if you're married, for example, uh, that love and affection can still be there, but then sometimes it, you have to be reminded, um, uh, some more than others, perhaps. Um, but familiarity is a problem in our relationship. It, it, it's, a, it's a problem in our relationships with our, our friends, our, our, our spouses, our, our boyfriends and girlfriends, our children, even. And it doesn't mean that the affection and love and care isn't there it's just how do i see you in a new way how do i think about you in a way that reminds me what this relationship is supposed to be about and i think that's kind of what i want to try to do the next half hour is to think about the gospel that way because we hear it so much it almost can become uh, repetitious and then it, it, can, it can become a modifier, the gospel blank, you know, on so many things in our world. Um, and yet, uh, reflection and, and, and just cautious wisdom says, wait a minute, this may be the most important uh, concept we, we can ever appropriate in our lives. So that, that's kind of what, um, what my, my basic framework of thinking of how to get into the subject matter of what is the gospel. Let's, let's make it a little unfamiliar just for a minute. Obviously, it's a word. It's a word that comes from somewhere. And most of you, if you've had just sort of basic sort of introductions to Christianity, have heard the word euangelio or uh, euangelion. Um, if not, you just heard it and you're ready for the exam. Um, Probably first used in the book of Mark, which is probably uh, the oldest of the Gospels. 
Okay, Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So the first thing when we encounter the word in what we believe to be the earliest sort of documentation of it, we know two things. It's about Jesus and it has its origins or it has a relationship to the prophets of old. It's not something that has just come on the scene um, without precedent or without warning, we might say through the prophet of Isaiah. Galio, 76 times. It's the one thing they warn you in seminary. Don't do word studies. We're going to do a word study because it occurs 76 times as a noun and 54 times as a verb. That's enough right there to say, okay, this is an important word, whatever it means. It's recurrence, not only in the Gospels themselves, the actual Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but then through the apostles and the apostles' writing, it is, it is a redundant word that comes back again and again. In, in so many contexts, it'd be impossible in 30 minutes, really, to do it justice uh, in the number of passages where we find it. So, good news about someone named Jesus that somehow Isaiah indicated <laughs> was going to be coming. <laughs> a long time ago. That, that's at least a starting point for us when we talk about it. A little bit more on how we understand the word gospel and its origins. The Greek itself, if you broke it into its parts, the good messenger is what it actually means. The good messenger. Uh, the bona annuntiatario, uh, the, the, the good announcement. <laughs> Is the Latin the good announcement? Come, old English messes us up a little bit. Old English messes up a little bit because it comes from German, <laughs> and that's why it says Gottspell, right? The good news. That's actually where we get it in English. The actual idea of the word gospel. If you've ever worked with any German, you understand it. It tends to throw curveballs in terms of how, how we get to the actual, you know, sort of linguistic inheritance. But most of Anglo-Saxon language comes out of German. So this euangelio, this good, this good messenger, it actually becomes good news through the Saxon and the English. The Godspiel, uh, the actual uh, name of uh, the German newspaper is Spiel, the the Spiel. So. Just to give you an idea of, what, of the kind of language we're using. Again, to make it a little unfamiliar to us. Um, all right. What else can we say? Let, let's do a little more archaeology and just a little more digging. Because if we find it that many times in the New Testament, it's obviously a word that they've inherited. Right? It's a concept that they've inherited. They didn't just make it up. All right? Uh, so it, it's a concept they inherited. They actually inherited it, inherited the word or the idea from older Greek thought. And I, this is important as I, as I tried to put this together this, this week. Um, it, it really struck me how the origins of this word can make the gospel sound new to us again. In, in Greek mythology, there is a minor goddess or nymph named Angelos. 
angelos, right? And what does the word sound like? Angel, right? And that's exactly correct. Angelos was a messenger in ancient Greek. So this, we got to go way back now to the archaic period, long before Jesus, long before Paul. We see stories that are giving us the origin of our word gospel, the messenger. Angelos was the daughter of Hera and Zeus. Angelos was the daughter, and she was banned, though, from her mother's home because she stole some anointments, some phylacteries, some, some god stuff from Hera, and she took them and gave them to Europa, Zeus's lover. Okay, well, Hera did not take this well. And Hera went after her daughter, and to escape uh, Hera's wrath, she went and hid in two different places. One was a room where a woman was in labor. It must have been crowded. I don't understand that part of it, but it must have been a crowded room. And then she went to a funeral where they were carrying a dead man and hid in the crowd. And Hera, it slowed Hera's trail down in, in terms of finding her. Zeus, being Zeus, decided to protect his daughter and, and, and hide her from his mother. He sent her to live in the underworld. The other world is how the Greeks would have understood it. The other world. Here, the world of the dead, the other world, became her realm. And when she spoke outside of that world, Angelos was known as the speaker from the other world or from the other side. Another, uh, uh, that's, that's the, so again, root word origin, origins of words and concepts kind of thing. Uh, another word, Angelia, uh, again, sounds like angel, and this is exactly correct. Angelia was the daughter of Hermes, the messenger of the gods. The messenger of the gods, a personified spirit. We don't know much about either one of these people uh, or mythologies. but And this is a, a direct derivation of our word angel. Okay? So, you, Angelo, a good messenger. Or a good message. Or, if you'll allow me, I, I think we could even stretch it a little further. Even though we don't see this explicitly in the Greek New Testament usage. We, we, in other words, it'd be hard to say, well, Paul, are you using it that way? Or Mark, is that what you're doing with this word? The origin indicates that whatever an angelo is, an angel, an angelio, a euangelio, it's a message from another world. It's a message from the other side. A message that has come from an unfamiliar place. And I think for the purposes of today, it's a good message sent from another world. That that is the context in which our New Testament writers have inherited this language. And they're doing something magnificently new and incredibly powerful with this mythological language, this inheritance of mythological language as it applies to our Lord and Savior, Christ. They're changing the way we understand the good message from the other world. And actual practice, if you look in 
lit- the literature of the period, it would be a good message like, we won the war. <laughs> What's that? We, it's victory. Right? Again, another application, I suppose, to our faith. If it is a good message, if this is so important that we have to hear good news from another world, if we have to under, if this has to break in and tell us something, we I think the the most basic question we have to ask uh, is why do we need it? Why do we need it? If Angelo showed up uh, from the underworld or something, uh, you know, I would be afraid and want to know why you are here, <laughs> right? <laughs> What, what do you, why are you bothering me after you catch me? Because I'd probably take off, right? Well, I think we can ask the same thing of our Lord's apostles. I think we can say, if we try to take off that familiarity and look at them through the lens of our historical imagination, and we say, why do we need this, Cephas? Why do we need this, Paul? What is the good news why do I need good news? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm content. I seem to be doing okay. I'm not dyspeptic today. What is the reason? To understand the reason, I want to do something a bit pedantic. But I think it's at the center of the starting point for understanding the gospel. There's certain foundational ideas that stand behind the need for good news. And it doesn't hurt us, no matter how long you've been a believer, to hear it. And to hear it again and again, especially in a world like ours that's so uh, adrift in modernism and scientism and materialism. Just to take pause. Why, what, so let's just, what are the foundational considerations to hear this good news? Why do I need it? A little background. There is a God. I debated this bullet point. It seems so obvious, and yet it's not. It's not something that occurs necessarily in the kind of world we live in as a mode of conversation or thought. But the gospel, to hear it, is to begin there. There is a God. God... This God possesses all the attributes of perfection and goodness our minds are capable of conceiving. And more, this God, as the scriptures tell us, possesses what we call holiness, a set-apartness, a distinctness, or a separation from whatever's not God. I told you it was a little basic. (laughs) A good and holy God, or this good and holy God, created a good creation for His glory. Those are the first foundational considerations to understand the good news from the other side. You start with God. But more, humans. <laughs> there's a God, and there's this thing called humans. Us humans are part of the good creation. We were created good by a good God. And we possessed at the time of this creation a perfect freedom. A perfect freedom to please or displease God. 
It's called the prelapsarian or pre-fall freedom of, the, of human nature. Humans in this condition violated the goodness of God. And in turn, human freedom was rendered imperfect and complete and unable to please God. You know this is what? The fall. And if you've never heard it before, that's the fall of humanity in the, book, in the first three books of Genesis. Okay? Human fellowship with God is broken through transgression and sin. The good God and the good creator was transgressed. That's the second part for understanding the good news. That's the second piece of the puzzle. There is a God. This God has been violated or transgressed by human freedom. Okay? Because of this transgression, humanity can no longer participate in the goodness of God. It's unavailable to us. Human fellowship with God has been broken. Sin is human will and freedom used in violation of God's holiness or perfection. Okay? So human nature itself has been affected by this transgression against this good and holy God. It is distorted. Our created nature and purpose and ability to please God and even our desire for God is not right in light of this transgression. Why are we doing this? Because we're trying to figure out why we need good news. Sin does not make our... Cre- this is important. Sin does not make our createdness or our creatureliness bad. God does not make bad things. You are not made bad. Your body is not bad. You understand? Your createdness is not bad. But sin or violation and transgression against the holy God, rebellion, it alters our spiritual bearings. It turns us away from God and the way we perceive ourselves and the world around us. Okay? So three formative ideas. There is a God. There are humans that have been created by this God. There's a violation And now there's separation from this God. And most of you who have been in the Christian faith for a long time know this story. But pause and think about how utterly transformative it is to realize this is our reality apart from Christ. That apart from Christ, this is our reality. Okay? Let me see. Sin is such a violation of God's character and being, it requires punishment before humans can be restored and know God again. Sin brings death and judgment. And there's the passage from Genesis. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death, death, the loss of life itself, the end of existence at least as a, cre- as a creature of God that was created good, is the, is the loss we share in this alienation from God. Um, and 
you know, it's, it's interesting that if you, if you the, the two curses that you see in Genesis that come from the fall or come from the transgression, you're going to, there are two types of labor. <laughs> there's the labor of, of work to live and sustain, and there's the labor of birth to keep the creation going. You know, both become toilsome. Both become something they weren't supposed to be, according to this fall. What does this mean? It means there's deep repercussions in all of our approach to reality. Good things good that, that reflect a good God then become uh, in competition with bad things. <laughs> Right? Things that take us away from this God and our ability to perceive and think correctly about them, right? So you get food and drink, something we need as creatures. They vie now with excess and gluttony because of the fall. Food and drink vie with excess and gluttony. Again, good things, right? We desire these things prosperity and wealth with greed and avarice. Right? And if you don't see yourself in that horrible picture, <laughs> at some point we see ourselves <laughs> with these good things, right? This is me. Rest and leisure vie with sloth and laziness, right? Things that should restore us become temptations to sloth and laziness. Courage and valor, things we need to navigate this world, they vie and compete with rage and violence. We find ourselves desiring these things that are good, but then we find ourselves distorted in our attempts to pursue them, right? Perhaps the most, uh, the most immediate that impounds on us from a young age, the natural desire for sex and procreation to lust and sensualism. Some good images. You got to be careful with that one. But natural desire for sex and procreation. Lust and sensualism. Things that we, you desire by a good creator <laughs> become distorted. And, 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 unab and it's unable to, to maintain as in a kind of equilibrium. Charity and love. Things we want to show and demonstrate to other people get mixed in with power and control. This is the result of sin. This is what I mean when I say the transgression has had real consequences for reality, right? That the things that are good by God's created order are no longer pursuable in a way that satisfies a holy God. We turn to ourselves over and over again and mess it up. <laughs> Right in our decisions. And as we grow older, we see how complicated this. At the center of it is the problem of our will. Is the problem of our will. Our will is simply unable to ma master our misdirected desires. This is a, uh, it demands much more than just the, the 30 minutes we have here because this is at the center of the great debate from the classical world, the great philosophy of virtue ethics that we've inherited from the ancient world, how we educate our children. Do this, don't do this, strive to be this. You want to be a virtuous person. And we, ha we want to instill virtue in you. And, and it was St. Augustine 
uh, whose, whose late theology of the late empire said, wait, all that is true. My intellect can desire the right things. I can even behave the right way. But my desire and my will constantly pulls me back. And he has that fantastic quote about the hand and the mind. I can move my hand and not even think about it, but I cannot move my will to act according to what I want. Are you a thief? No, but do you covet? You see the will, the mind, and the behavior, and that's his brilliant insight long before Freud (laughs) and Marx, (laughs) is that what we desire is at the heart of why we need the good news, even when things seem to be right in our decision-making. Does that make sense? So it's the heart, it's the will itself that's misdirected. What about the gospel? What is the message from the other world? Is that we're not stuck in this condition. We are not prisoners of our own transgression, sin, or our wills. We're not prisoners, even when we're behaving right and doing all the right things, but no, we still desire other things on those boring, long Tuesday afternoons. (laughs) There's something else that has broken in from the other world. This is the gospel, the good news, the good message that God has made possible, restored fellowship between uh, humanity and himself, including you. That's the basic starting point that is so familiar if you've been raised in the church or a Christian for a long period of time, you have to pause, or at least I do, and say, what does that mean? In light of the things we just looked at, it means I have to constantly find this the source of spiritual renewal and refreshment for my ultimate destiny and purpose in this life. This is the good news That goes way back. It is the story of redemption itself. This is the story of spiritual and physical recreation. The recreation of humanity for the purposes of God for all eternity. Adam, Abraham, Moses, David to Christ. Why do we read the Old Testament? Because it's all there. The story of the gospel is unfolding from Genesis forward, Israel through the church, through this very hour, the story of the gospel is unfolding as it's applied in our lives and appropriated through the preaching of the word, the taking of the sacraments, repentance and faith. We turn to scripture in its entirety because it teaches us what the good news from the other side is as it centers in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gift of restoration and recreation. Forgiveness of sins, repentance, faith, the king, all the metaphors and and, uh, images we can attach to him. But the center of the good news is all those conditions have been met to restore our fellowship with God and to reorient us back into the good and the true even when our desires pull us another way. I have a note I should make sure, I wanted to make sure I got in that um, even uh, if you've been a Christian for a long period of time uh, and, and a person of faith, 
you know that this struggle doesn't go away. You know it doesn't. You don't have to announce what it is, but it doesn't. And as a matter of fact, it will affect you today before it's over. Because it is the nature of our reality. At the center of the good news is the life work, the death of Christ, his atoning sacrifice, and his resurrection. And the resurrection cannot be forgotten because that is the new order itself that has been inaugurated. That your mortal body, that perishing frame you sit in, will one day live with him for eternity. If you understand what this good news is. It will be brought from death into a recreated order. It's frankly incomprehensible. And we can only get to it through language and through hearing the word over and over again. But it is perhaps the most astounding, it is not perhaps, it is the most astounding message you can ever encounter. Because it is the nature of reality itself. It is a need you cannot fulfill yourself, nor will going to church fulfill it. Going to church mediates it to us. It brings it to us. When we crawl out of bed and chug that coffee and get down here, but that's not the, the, the entity itself. The real thing is the resurrected Christ who sits today on the throne of God. And that is the new order that we await. Another way to get at this that you may have heard, Christ is our new Adam. There was Adam of the flesh, but the Adam of the soul has come. The Adam of the spirit has come. Christ is our new Adam. Paul emphasizes this over and over again. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's the good news. <laughs> However, the spiritual is not, the, is not first, but the natural, the body, the creation, right? Afterward, the spiritual, the breath of God itself, the restoration of the soul. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, perishable. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne or carried the image of man out of the dust as we sit here today, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, as you will in redemption, in resurrection. Sin came, man came uh, by, by man, by, by human activity, came death, by the, the misuse of freedom itself. But by capital M, man, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all are made alive. That's the gospel. It's recreation and hope. And finally... The, the, the big passage from Romans that demands several Sunday school hours. <laughs> Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. This is important. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
back to my, my graph of Moses, when, we finally, when the law finally confronts us with our condition, now we understand what we're violating. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even so, before Moses, death was present. Even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness and transgression of Adam. Even those who were in the covenant family of God, of, of Abraham who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Could could spend days going over this passage, but at the heart of it is a great simplicity. The dying mortal coil that we sit in the sinful, transgressive, rebellious, willful, mortal frame that we exist in, in our wills, our intellects, our bodies, has hope. And the hope is because of what Jesus Christ did, accomplished, and is now seated and applying, waiting to recover you in body and soul for all eternity. That, that is the gospel. The gospel is good news from another world. It is the singular comprehensive statement of reality itself. Human need and divine answer for that need. It is forgiveness. It is pardon. It is invitation. It is eternal blessing. I just urge us this day that as many times as we've heard the word, we just take a moment and hear it again. Amen. Questions or concerns or thoughts? Lewis was in the back of my mind through a lot of this preparation because he takes this image of rescue over and over in his fiction and he makes it accessible to children. <laughs> I mean, so the, this idea of, of, of rescue, even in, uh, uh, even specifically, he has a work called uh, Cupid and Psyche. It's a retelling of Cupid and Psyche myth. It's called Till We Have Faces, which is appropriate given the world we're living in right now with mask uh, till we have faces and in that in the whole uh, turn of that story is the idea of a messenger from the other world who only certain people can hear and see and the old the, the rest of the kingdom don't they think they're crazy good yeah, end in prayer father thank you for the good news thank you that here so many centuries later in what we believe to be such complicated times that you have still brought the most simple, elegant, and straightforward of answers, which is uh, come, come unto you, come unto your Son. Let it burn into our existence. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, We hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.